Section 12 of War Flying by a Pilot. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. War Flying by a Pilot by Lesell Finer Hutchin. Book 2 On Active Service. Chapter 2 Part 3 Looping the Loop I had a job in the morning yesterday. A slight bombardment was on, and the C.O. sent me up to stop it. It was a beastly day. Rain stings at seventy miles an hour, and it was cloudy and misty. We stayed a couple of hours, got a few arches, and came home. The afternoon cleared up, and my flight commander suggested I should go up and practice with a camera and some old plates. So up I went, and with the camera tied on very securely in case I accidentally turned upside down, beetled off to a spot behind the lines where I played a delightful game of make-believe. Fixing on an innocent little farmhouse as my objective, I dodged imaginary arches on my way to it, and regardless of the laws of aerial navigation, put my machine in such postures that the farmhouse was sighted by the camera. I tried a dozen or so shots at it, and then, as I had reached a height of six thousand feet, I thought I would try to do my first loop. I shoved the nose down seventy, eighty, ninety, one hundred miles per hour. The pitot-tube did not register any higher, the liquid went out at the top. Then, when at a speed of approximately a hundred and twenty miles an hour, I pulled the joystick back into my tummy, and up went the nose, up, up, and there I was, upside down, gazing at the sky. Gee, how slowly she seems to be going! Ah, she's over at last! The white blank overhead changes to a black mass of earth rising up at me, and the nose-dive part is over too, and a final sweep brings me level. I glanced at the altimeter. I had lost four hundred feet. Cheero! Now I'll ride home and tell them. No, I must do another. If I did only one, they would think I had funked it after the first shot. Down goes the nose, then up and slower, slower. By Jove, she's going to stick at the top of the loop this time. Too slow. Centrifugal force is not great enough. My feet seem to lose their contact with the floor. I grip the joystick fiercely in both hands. Ah, she's over. Now the rush down and then level once more. Now I'll get off to the aerodrome and show them how to do it. I did a couple more, quite close to the aerodrome, beauties, and then came down in a steep spiral. They were all at a height of six thousand feet, and I only lost four hundred feet each time. Four good loops at the first time of attempting a loop isn't bad, considering I had never even looped as a passenger. Strangely enough, I wasn't half so excited as I expected to be, and once accomplished, the feat seemed easy and not out of the ordinary. But to set your minds at rest, I do not intend to go in for stunting. I am quite bucked, though, at having done it, and it was a curious sensation, to say the least. I have been heartily congratulated. They were darned good loops. Thanks ever so much for the pastries and the cake. They were ripping. 
but rarely, though, you mustn't trouble so much over me in the food line, for we have to pinch ourselves and tell each other there's a war on sometimes when we get some unusual delicacies. By the same post I got a pound of lovely nut chocolate from S. We had a tremendous scrap in the mess over it when I discovered what it was, and it ended up with the box of chocolate on the floor, with me on top of it, and five people on top of me. When they discovered that the more people there were on top of me, the farther off became the chocolate, they got up, and I handed it round in the usual civilized manner. It was great fun, though, and the chocolate, being in a tin, did not suffer. We had a visit from Ian Hayes' friend today, if you recall a certain incident in the trenches. He recently got the military cross. One of the difficulties I have to contend with here is finding out the correct day and date. Days here are all one to us, and it has even sometimes to be put to the vote. Yesterday I spent four and a half hours in my machine. Not all in the air, though. I took up fifteen different passengers and gave them all a spiral. They were sent over to see what signalling on the ground looks like from a plane. I don't think any of them had ever been up before. At Hendon I should have made between thirty and forty pounds for that. As I was going out of the aerodrome I flew over a passing car, and we waved merrily to each other. Then I chased the car, slowed my engine, and dived at it, and a little later flew after it again. The driver must have been watching me too closely, for he went into the ditch. My passenger was awfully bucked about it. I suppose you know we have adopted the new time now. It only alters the hour of our meals, however. Our work goes on according to the light and the weather. Cricket is the great stunt here in the afternoon, and rugby in the evenings. The mornings are spent in repairing the damage of overnight caused by the rugger. All this, of course, provided the little incidentals of flying and so on do not interfere to excess. The batsman is outnumbered by fielders in the proportion of fifteen to one, and for his further annoyance he may not smite the ball more than quite a moderate distance, or it counts as out. Still, the game provides much amusement, and as the batsman generally ignores the boundary rule and smites at every ball on the principle of a short life and a gay one, it is also conducive to short innings.' 